It's good to see all of you, uh, a lively bunch this morning. I'm glad that you guys are awake and ticking. <laughs> um, welcome to the Adult Christian Ed Summer Series. Uh, this summer we're in a series called Reaching the Next Generation. And so that's what we'll be focused on today. This is the third week. Um, and I was able to, to kind of walk through the content from the first week that Pastor Matthew gave on Gen Z. It was really informative. So, um, But today we're going to uh, really get at the heart of this question of youth on mission. And uh, as I look out into the crowd and as I even look into the mirror in my gray beard these days, um, <laughs> we're not so youthful anymore necessarily in this room. I'm not calling anyone out in particular. <laughs> But, but this youth on mission really is geared toward the next generation, which um, sometimes we'll have some, some of them in here. Uh, but today we, we don't have any kids running around, which is okay. Um, but I, I really wanted to set this, uh, the content for today to really be thinking about um, what's our responsibility in that if we're not youth. Which uh, we're not. So, um, before we dive into that, and before I go into my background about my qualifications for teaching on this, uh, which are a little suspect, but um, before we do that, I want to do open in prayer. This is the Lord's Day, and just lift up any particular prayer requests. Are there any prayer requests that anyone would want to call out and I can pray for? Yeah. Um, just pray for my um, granddaughter. She's going to leave us for a month, so just pray. Okay. What's her name? Alasia. Alasia. Okay. Yeah. Alasia. Oh, now I got to write these down. Hold on. It's <laughs> a lot of hands. All right. I did. I offered. Okay. Amelia. Yeah. Her tons. Oh. Okay. And that was on Friday. Is she at home or? They're actually at the hospital. They're they kept. Okay. So Amelia, uh, they're. Toddler, daughter, just had her, how, how long? Oh, she's the older one, nine-year-old, okay. The nine-year-old daughter um, just had her tonsils out on Friday, and there's some complications, so we'll pray for that. The Pierre's in Haiti. Oh, yeah. The, and, um, yeah, I'll pray for them. The Pierre's in Haiti. As you know, Haiti is kind of falling apart again, as if it couldn't fall apart more. And the missionary friends that we have there that we support, they, they were able to get out, but they're where they have their ministry was sort of taken over by the rebels. And so a lot of struggles there. So we'll pray for their family and also the people taking care of their home. Hans. My son Martin and his wife Elizabeth, whose house burned down on Monday. Yeah. This one will hit your topic. The drug problem in the teenagers in the United States. Say that again, please. The drug problem. The drug problem? It's really serious healing Okay. All right. I feel terrible everybody else. I had lymphedema and my leg was draining. It was getting a lot better. It's now getting worse. I've heard from my left, my, left, my drain on my left leg. Okay. And remind me of your name again. It's right, Sandy. It was right on the tip of my tongue, but okay. All right. Let's. We have a lot to pray for, but we'll we'll lift it up to the Lord. Um, we just go ahead and pray. Uh, 
Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come into your presence and, and continue to seek you uh, in our own hearts individually and collectively as a church. We lift up these prayer requests to you, God. Thank you that um, we just bring them to your th- throne in confidence that uh, we know that our Savior Jesus has accomplished um, everything that we need in this life for godliness and, and seeking you. Um, and we also know, Lord, there's a lot of uh, concerns that we have individually in this um, room. And if, if we hear five quickly, that means there's hundreds, uh, if not more, uh, on our mind this morning. So we just come now and, and we be still in front of you and, and we calm our hearts and our minds, um, remembering, Lord, that you are sovereign and you are working um, in all these situations. And we lift them up, uh, particularly by name. Uh, Alasia, we lift her up for her month of travel. We pray that you would use that in a powerful way in her life. Uh, we lift up Amelia as she recovers from tonsil surgery. Um, we just pray uh, for Sam and Matthew as they care for her and that you would um, heal any complications so that she can recover quickly um, and that there would be no adverse uh, long-term impacts from that. We lift up uh, the Pierre family in Haiti and the country as well. God, we just ask that um, somehow, in, in spite of what we see or hear, that your spirit would, would reign in that place. And, and we especially lift up the, the compound and the ministry space that the Pierres have for the people there, which is really there to help and support um, we just pray for your angels to protect that and for the keys to get returned and, and all that, all the details in that, we lift it up to you. We pray for Martin and his wife Elizabeth and their family as they recover from uh, their home being burned down. And we just um, pray that in the midst of that, they would seek you out and draw near to you. Uh, we pray for the drug um, epidemic in our country and we lift up those that we possibly have connections to that are suffering. We pray for protection on our own uh, families and children. And we just ask again, God, that you would somehow turn the tide um, in our country on that uh, topic. Thank you for bringing it up for prayer, Lord. And, and we just, um, just ask for you to move in that. We also ask for Sandy and, and her leg problem, please heal her and, and work through that in your timing. And give her strength and encouragement as she perseveres through that suffering. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're youth on mission is the topic today. If you, if, I mentioned if you missed the first week, there's a lot about Gen Z and, and top, you know, kind of how do we think about this generation and Today is a little bit more just my general thoughts on what it means for youth to be on mission. And, and I've spent the time in preparation just looking at that biblically and then also thinking about it from my own experience, um, what I think about the topic. So it's actually been kind of a fun topic to drill in on thinking about what does it mean for youth in our culture today to be on mission. Um, so we're going to think about that. Uh, I want to give you a little bit about my background. As I said, my, my uh, credentials are a little suspect on this topic, but 
<laughs> I, but I did start in youth ministry in college. Um, my wife Libby and I, we started doing youth ministry at Bethel Baptist. And then that's what led me to my previous church, Sycamore Hill Church, where I was a youth pastor there. And um, over the years, I've led a lot of youth mission trips. Um, I've led two here at this church the last two summers. The funny thing with mission trips with youth is um, they're memorable. <laughs> it's like you remember how much sleep you lost that week, and you're like, wait, I took a week off of work to be here, to, le- to sleep less, and to... But they're memorable in those kind of ways, but they're also memorable in spiritual ways. You see, when, with the, when the youth go on mission, you just see, number one, God works in a special way within that group, but you also see the lasting impact that that has had. And so Libby and I took a couple groups early on when we were in our young 20s. We took one to the Bahamas on a mission trip. I know, we were suffering for the Lord. The funny thing is, once we got into the middle of the island of the Bahamas, it was like torturous in there. We struggled. It was rough. It was a very rough week until that last day on the beach, which was fun. Um, but we, we did a group there, and, and all the kids were excited because they were going to the Bahamas, and then they got there, and they said, what, what did you do to us? This is not... Uh, but we were in the interior where there's a lot of poverty, and uh, as, uh, just like any Caribbean island where you, where you may have been. So, but we got to see, that was over 20 years ago, and I can still think of some kids that are walking with the Lord and, and um, really on mission for the Lord in different ways. So, um, you know, my own personal call, I was actually 16 when I committed my life to missions. And um, I remember that moment to this day. I've been working that calling out ever since. It, it led me uh, in a roundabout way into pastoring, um, but I felt a call to missions before I felt a call to pastoring. So, and I was 16 at the time, and that still sticks with me uh, very strongly. So, um, and then the type of pastoring that I've fallen into over the years, I think God's um, for whatever reason, given me a big heart for the next generation and a heart for young people to be uh, seeking him and then following him. And so um, while my day-to-day ministry has kind of stepped out of youth ministry per se, uh, I've always had a, a heart for young adults and, and young people. Really curious because I feel like if we lose... If there's a gap anywhere in the line of our church, it's kind of like the first signs that your church is dying. So if all of our kids are kind of going through high school and then disappearing, and we don't have younger people coming back in that sort of time frame, you know, it's, it's something that we can track and monitor. And so, and then as a parent, we have two young adults seeking the Lord. We have one in college and one on mission. So... We've gone through, we've navigated the challenges, you know. You should go to college. One of them has gone to college, and the other one has kind of done something totally different from what her cultural pressures have pressed upon her. And as parents, we've had to navigate that. Like, well, how's this going to be paid for? And, you know, what is this, what is this play out into the future? So as we've seen our adults uh, that we've raised up, on mission, it's kind of given us a new perspective on how to navigate that. So, um, as we step into it, we're going to look through into these three questions over our overall, overall today, and um, 
we'll start out with what does the Bible say about youth on mission? What are cultural influences impacting youth on mission in our day today? And then what's our responsibility to youth on mission? What, what role can we play? What, how responsible are we that you know, they follow the Lord and that they're on mission for him? The ones in our midst, whether we're parents or we're influencers of young people in our church. And I think we all know this is a big topic and uh, there's not a simple answer. Uh, but I think looking at the Bible is a fun way to start and obviously a good way. I thought about where do we see youth on mission in the Bible? I remember as a kid watching these videos, Samuel, the boy um, with the prophet Eli, and he heard from the Lord. And I remember watching these stories and seeing the flannel graphs. And you hear all these stories in the Bible about young people. And when you read the scriptures, it's, it's quite um, telling in terms of specifically how God has wired youth to be on mission in a special way. And, and we can read here, uh, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And Samuel would have been, you know, 12, 13 at this time when God called him into ministry. And Samuel became a prophet. He took the place of Eli's biological sons in that role. Eli's bi biological sons kind of went the way of the world. Um, but Samuel became kind of, Eli was like a father to Samuel, and Samuel became a prophet um, and was raised up by the priest Eli. And he went on to anoint uh, King David. And, and really, that's the next one. I like this picture. This is a, a public domain picture of David with the head of Goliath. I know it's kind of hard to see, but it's, it's pretty uh, <laughs> it's artistic and realistic at the same time. But David is, is another example of a youth on mission. Uh, when Samuel came and he was with, uh, he approached uh, Jesse's family. And it says, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And uh, most have put David around the age of 15 or so when he would go and fight Goliath. And it was in that setting that he's still very young, very young guy where he came onto the scene bringing like the cheese and all this stuff to his older brothers. And um, it was there that uh, David replied, or, or Saul replied this. He was talking to King Saul at the time about like, should he go out and fight? And this is when Saul tried to fit his armor on him and it didn't fit. But Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. So, as a teenager, maybe in his early 20s, and he's just standing up 
Um, this is one we might hear about in this summer series. I like this little artistic picture of King Josiah uh, by Michael Williams. King Josiah um, was one of the good kings in the line of all the bad kings that we're hearing about in the Choose Wisely series. Um, but Josiah was, was eight years when he took the throne. And, and that alone is kind of surprising, but more so what he accomplished in his short reign of about 40 years. Um, so even as a, a young adult and as a young man, he started to lead in a powerful way. Second Chronicles 34, uh, listen to this. And listen to the extent that he goes as a young man to, to change... Um, the decades of sort of the misguided culture that was and his older previous culture had it behind him. But um, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's eyes and walked in the ways of his ancestor David, not deviating it from it even a bit to the right or left. In the eighth year of his rule... So how, how would he have been there? <laughs> oh, you guys are so good at math. <laughs> um, in the eighth year of his rule, while he was just a boy, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, how would he be there? <laughs> how much? Eighteen? Okay, I'm hearing different numbers. We're not the best at math, but that's okay. <laughs> 20, okay. Officially, he was 20. Um, so, where am I here? <laughs> In the 12th year, when he was about 20, he began purifying Judah and Jerusalem of the shrines, the sacred poles, idols, and images. Under his supervision, the altars for the bales were torn down, and the incense altars that were above them were smashed. He broke up the sacred poles, idols, and images, grinding them to dust and scattering, scattering them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to him, sacrificed to them. Um, so you can really see just what youth on mission looks like in the Bible. And we could even keep going. This is uh, Esther, the Persian queen who... Uh, in, again, some interesting circumstances. Uh, this was later in Israel's history, but King Xerxes, the Persian king, when the nation of Israel was in exile, uh, King Xerxes was seeking a new wife because it was kind of, you know, back in that day, that was the thing to do. Um, <clears throat> and all these young candidates were brought before him, one after another, the kind of the best women of the land that could be found. And Esther kept her Jewish heritage uh, hidden there for a bit. And she was only a teenager. Um, but it was the age when most Jewish girls would have been married during Bible times. And it wasn't in Esther's plan to be presented as a young woman, um, fit to be the next queen. Uh, but that's the situation she found herself in. And then... Um, her uncle Mordecai was kind of guiding her through that. And then there's this interesting sort of hinge verse of the, the story where um, he calls her to sort of mission in a moment. He says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. 
but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And that's where that phrase for such a time as this is where it comes from. And, um, you know, so Esther kind of was called, almost given a choice. Like, do you want to be on mission or do you want to kind of go your own way? Um, And then this is the old man rendering from Michelangelo of Jeremiah, who is another prophet, major prophet of the Old Testament. And um, what was unique about his calling, which, you know, a lot of us are familiar with, is um, the context of the way he was called. And so this is in Jeremiah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, and this is Jeremiah speaking, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Don't say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And in in essence, Jeremiah is saying, I'm just a kid. Like, I can't do this. Um, there's a, one of my favorite books is called Running with Horses or Run with the Horses by Eugene Peterson. And it's a, a, just a, an exposition on the life of Jeremiah. And he has this really cool quote that I think gets at the heart of when you're called into mission as a youth and you're asking, well, I'm only a youth. Like I can't do this in my own strength. Um, and he, he just kind of describes it this way. Before Jeremiah knew God, God knew Jeremiah. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. This turns everything we ever thought about God around. Before it ever crossed our minds that God might be important, God singled singled us out as important. Before we were formed in the womb, God knew us. We are known before we know. And... You know, this idea that God knows us and he's, he is the one that's um, calling young people into mission. A lot of the response is the same biblically, which is, I can't do this, I'm too young. And yet, that's not, uh, for God, that's not the reason um, that he leans on for them not doing it. And um, a big part of that is obviously because... Well, maybe I'll pause there. Having said what I said so far, um, why do you think God might use young people for mission? Especially based on kind of what we've already walked through biblically. Maybe we can have a couple comments on that. I think if you look at how that ends up with that person, that might give you a clue as to why God chose Yeah, we can kind of see the whole storyline in the Bible, which is nice and there are aspects of their, their character that get developed in that maybe. Like David, you know, he was called and he was sort of equipped in certain ways for what God ended up calling him into. Yeah. I think um, it's easier for them to have a deeper faith. They're not as jaded by the world. And they just have a, a connection with God that's different than when we were adults. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I, when I think on the youth mission trips, we've seen that. Like the, this past trip that I led, we were up in Boston, and the whole week we were preparing for this um, community outreach. We were working with a small local church of about 50 people. And the whole time I was just thinking, this is not, like, who in the Boston suburbs is going to come out to, like, hang out to a church they don't know? So we'd go into these parks all week long, and, and I was just, my own inner spirit was kind of saying, this is going to be like, all right, let's temper the expectations to, even if one person comes out, you know, it's going to be a win. But these kids, they just... Almost like their lack of experience, <laughs> their lack of like predicting what people will do, made them more, you know, vigorous for the Lord in the parks. And, 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 and God used that, and more people showed up than my own mind would have, you know, pre- predicted. There's a hand in the back here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, really, this leads into the kind of a next question. I'm sort of tweaking my dis- discussion questions because we're all sitting in rows here. But um, when you think about young people on mission and, and we walk through these Bible characters, how do you think about a Bible character on mission versus, you know, our youth intern who might lead a devotion to some adults? Maybe work out some of that. Um, how do you think about, say, like a King David versus your own child who's the same age or someone that you know is the same age? We haven't allowed it, though. What's that? We haven't allowed it. We haven't allowed it? Yes. Like, so in, you're asking, explain that. You're asking how would a younger believer, you know, speak into older men and women. Well, the church has a tradition of not letting children speak in, too. So, I mean, I think that's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, and I think it's, that's a tricky one to navigate. Um, The, one of the cooler areas I've seen this happen is um, within the context of the youth ministry, um, within the small group ministry, to see some of these, you know, young students that are 13, 14, 15 lead a devotion for their small group while the adults are there. And so that's, I mean, there's a place where that has happened. And it's cool to see their perspective on the word. And, and so, yeah, go ahead. When, when Jesus came back to his hometown, they said, where did this fellow get to be saying, oh, yeah. what's this gift he's been given? Because they didn't trust, they like, they're critical people. Mm-hmm. And when a kid really has a gift, hmm. today, in today's era, I would say, well, that kid has had to set aside a lot more distraction mm-hmm. than David did. David's out there in the field bored out of his mind. Hmm. <laughs> What's, where's the TikTok internet confusing his mind? Hmm. So I give more credit to the kids today who step up. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, that it is. it does seem to be a pretty big step into that these days. And um, another one I thought of is when we, when they have the youth testimonies for the mission trips, that's a place where the young people are speaking to the adults. And it's, it's really cool. There is, I've noticed that what you just described and a couple of kids when they're up there, I'm like, Oh, I think he's kind of a preacher. 
<laughs> He's got like a little mini sermon right there. So I think you, you make a good point. Um, well, let's keep moving. Otherwise, we'll... Oh, okay. So this is kind of the point here with this biblical path. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember today that since biblical times, youth have been marked for mission. They are presented with what seems like an unrealistic challenge. And the power to fulfill God's mission is sourced in God's call on their life and their willingness to step forward and courage. And so um, it's sort of God's call and his power and his work moving in them. But then they do have to step into or toward whatever, like Esther's example is maybe like yours. Like she could have just remained hidden and done the culturally appropriate thing. But she had to approach the king and say something that was countercultural, and it, it changed the, the narrative. Um, so I think that's helpful for us to think about when we think about young people today. Um, I think Jesus is obviously a really good example in this. I think it's so interesting to me that um, a lot of what Jesus accomplished <clears throat> was as a young leader. And a lot of times people will say, well, you need to stay somewhere like 10 years to really make a lasting influence. And yet Jesus' public ministry was three years. What we would typically say, oh, if, you're, if you work somewhere and you, um, you want to make a lasting impact, you're going to need to stay there five years, 10 years. And I think there's truth in longevity. I mean, as I've come here, I've heard as I sit with people and be like, well, how'd you come to the church? And a lot of times it's like, oh, Pastor Bo, you know, like we went to his house for lunch and his ability to articulate the word and, and his longevity in ministry obviously had a huge impact, right, on people's lives. So I'm not saying anything against that. I'm more saying it's interesting that Jesus was a young adult leader and he only needed three years to fully do what, what he needed to do. Um, and, you know, I just kind of described it this way. He accomplished all he needed to accomplish in three intense years within a pretty delimited geographic p- footprint between Jerusalem and the sea. And he was in his early 30s. Um, so Jesus was a young adult leader on mission. And then this, this does continue. Um, we see here a little rendering of Paul and Timothy. Paul raised up Timothy as a, a young leader, and he didn't. Paul or uh, Timothy didn't really also have a great father figure. Paul became that for him and raised him up. And uh, this is where we have sort of that really common verse: "Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity." And Paul was writing that to Timothy, his protege, raising him up as a young leader. And he said, don't let them despise you because you're a young leader. And so this, um, we already kind of discussed this earlier. Why does God call young people into radical mission? And um, maybe we can move to the next question, uh, which is, what does it mean to be on mission? I think that's a big question for people today, especially as we guide them into adulthood. Um, Jesus described it this way, and at some level, we all need to work this out 
if we're followers of Jesus, we all need to work this out. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And ultimately, uh, to some degree, we're, we're guiding all believers into this concept uh, uh, that to live a life of denial, a life of surrender, and to follow Jesus in a way that's uh, wholehearted with a recognition that it looks different in, in different people's lives. Um, when Jesus healed the guy in Mark 5 that uh, was, had demon possession, he, the guy tried to get into the boat with Jesus. He's like, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Jesus says, no, insisted, do not follow me. It's one of, the, you know, one of those times where Jesus told someone not to follow him. He said, go back to your own town and live out your faith there. And he went to the uh, Decapolis region and, and lived out his faith there. So it does look different in people's lives. You know, it's not like everyone was supposed to give up everything and follow Jesus. Jesus only had 12 disciples but he ministered in towns, and he still spread the faith into those people, but they weren't necessarily called to follow. So what does it mean to be on mission? What I'm getting at is that it's going to look different in, in a young adult's life. Kind of like you were hinting at earlier about some people do have, maybe they're supposed to go onto the mission field, but others are supposed to become an engineer and you know work for Boeing and help make planes, because people need to do that. But they both should be living a surrendered life, and I think that's uh, one thing I want to focus on. I just wondered what you meant by the term radical mission on the previous slide. Oh, yeah. Um, why does God call people into radical mission? <clears throat> I think that I was kind of getting at um, that... Mission, I guess in a sense it's redundant because mission is radical. But, uh, well, actually, let me, I'll tell this story because it gets, it kind of answers that question. Um, back in 2000, I was at this, well, I wasn't there, but I watched the video <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I felt like I was there, the way it impacted me. But there was this thing called One Day 2000, which is part of the passion movement with a guy named Louis Giglio that's still happening today. And each year they have an annual conference for young people. And the really, the really call of that conference is always like, are you going to step out on radical mission for God? And really, are you going to live a surrendered life, I guess, is, is the call. But this is John Piper. He was preaching that year. And he was um, speaking out of the context of his book called Don't Waste Your Life, which I read. And this one part of the sermon that he gave sort of became sort of like the anointed moment of that conference. And it became a, a, like a crying point for that, shifting from that for a lot of people. And um, so I'll read you the, the transcript from part of his sermon that I was talking about, because it'll get at like this radical aspect um, so John Piper began his sermon that day. So there was 40,000 people in Tennessee, all young adults, or 20s or teen, late teens. 
And he was talking about, like, how are you going to live out your Christian faith? <clears throat> and you can go on to um, Desiring God and w- watch this sermon if you'd like. But, um, but he tells a story. He says, about three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Now, Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnered up with Ruby, and also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way, and over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I ask my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a whole life, Devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And, and, at, and 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy? I asked. <clears throat> it's not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. And he pulls out, he says, I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. This is a tragedy. The title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early. And he reads from Reader's Digest, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. When he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. And he goes on, he says, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. He says, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells, as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. And I remember being 20 at the time, hearing that and just being kind of like floored by it. And... As I've gotten older, it's been a little tricky to work this out. <laughs> I actually like to collect shells. <laughs> I'm not even joking, and Libby can vouch here. I am working on my seashell collection. And so the irony is pretty thick on me, you know, as I've tried to work this out. It's not simple. I would say, yes, there's a lot of truth in what he's saying, and, and, it, and he's getting at something that's really good that young people need to hear. I think we need to guard against this mentality that everyone needs to go become a missionary, you know, in a far off place when we have a lot to do right in our own neighborhoods. So living out in that tension because some are called to do that and some are called to, you know, 
be doctors and nurses and collect trash in our community, you know, as their job. And that's not bad if you're doing that for the Lord. So I think we as adults need to um, be in a place where we can start to capture what is it that that person needs to um, step into the call of God in their life. I think I would say, yes, sometimes it does look radical. Maybe more, it, it should look more radical uh, more times than it does, I think. So I, I'd say if, if, uh, if we err, I think it would be okay if some people went more radical than they were maybe supposed to, Um, given our setting in the world where people don't know about Jesus uh, in a general sense. Can you speak to your situation with your your daughter who took a year and how that caught you guys? I mean, that's not the traditional American way. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, what he's referring to is um, our daughter Eden is on <clears throat> her second year of a, a gap year. <laughs> so it's a second gap year. We're like, how are you going to pay for this? Um, but the Lord's provided. But yeah, so the way that that story happened with us and our family is that um, we have uh, Libby's sister lives in Winnipeg, and their kids are about five to ten years older than our kids. And when all their kids were in high school, they were what I would call the typical high school kids, like good kids, but also, you know, partying and doing all the typical things that a high school kid might do in our culture. And we were like, ah, man, I hope they kind of follow the Lord as they merge into adulthood. And then all three of their kids ended up taking a gap year and going on mission with different organizations, two of them with YWAM and one went to Africa. And all three of the kids did a complete 180 with the Lord. And so I think we saw that when our kids were like 10, 8, and we were like, huh. And so um, we started planting the seed with our kids like, hey, if you want to go to college right after high school, that's great. If you want to get a job, that's great. If you want to take a gap year, we think it'd be good. And we would be for that idea, but it's kind of like your decision. And so we started planting those seeds a little bit. And then, um, yeah, our daughter Eden decided to go do a gap year with YWAM. And so I think it's been great for us as parents to, to walk with her through that. Um, like this past summer, she came back, or spring, and she had to raise like $12,000 to go for a second year. And we were like, well, how are you going to do that? You know, that's, you know. But that would be considered radical. Yeah. In our current. <clears throat> yeah, and... Even our neighbor came up to us recently who is where we pray for her and we talk to her about the faith, but she's not, not a, like walking with the Lord kind of a person necessarily. But she said, hey, I want to support Eden because I, I can see how, you know, her friends and her older brother went to college and they're ha- you know, his, our son's halfway through college now and well on his way and she went in a different direction. And so even our neighbor was able to like see some of the costs that um, that required in someone's life. So, yeah, I mean, we're not obviously we're not perfect as parents, but we we've seen kind of the, that path start to take shape. And 
Um, I think I'll, I'll skip ahead here and get to um, some of these aspects that they have to step out of. These are kind of more, I'll sort of breeze through these so that we can get through everything. Um, <clears throat> but I started to think about what are the cultural influences in our day for people to go on mission? And what are the ones that are sort of like speaking to or influencing their decision to go on mission? So these are more my impressions of the cultural landscape of things that like influence people in what they, the path that their life takes. So what are the cultural influences impacting youth on mission? Um, I do see a growing desire to be free from materialism yet they still want a life to the fullest. So there's a, there's a, there is a recognition that, okay, my mom and dad or, or my previous generation had all the toys, all the things. I grew up with all the toys, all the things, and it, it, it didn't work out great, although I really enjoyed the toys and the things. <laughs> so I think they're living in that tension of, some of them. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on their socioeconomic experience at some level. There's a, an emphasis on mental health um, and the importance of staying healthy. You know, I would say, like, starting from a very young age, all kids in our culture know that mental health is a topic that they should be keen on. Um, and then <clears throat> Pastor Matthew hinted at this a little bit the first week, but... There is a longing to be unbound from technology, yet a lack of know-how on how to disconnect. Uh, this generation is the first one that grew up with a device in their hand. I remember our daughter, Mercy, our youngest, we, at that stage in life, we had an iPad in the house. The kids would play the games on the iPad, and then they would also look at books and stuff like that. And She was looking at a magazine one time, and I saw her like swiping the picture on the magazine as like a one and a half year old. And I was like, that's amazing. She like is getting that concept. And so as they grow up, at the, if you've ever led one of our youth mission trips here or been part of one, um, we, we, the kids leave the phones at home. And I'm telling you, with, it's like 99.9% .9 of the kids throughout the week and afterward, they're just like, it was so nice not having my phone. There is not a one of them that says they wish they had their phone. Part of that is that they're in tight-knit communities, so they have their friend. They have, like, direct access all the time. So, that, so it's a little bit, uh, it'd be kind of silly to say, oh, well, you don't need your phone. You can just go back into your bedroom and you don't need your phone. That would be a misapplication of that thought because the reason they love it is because they're in community and they're not distracted so how to accomplish both of those things is tricky these days with kids. Well, I remember our son, he was like, the only way I can know if the guys are playing pickup soccer in Hokessen is if I'm on Snapchat. Like that was the only way he would hear that they were going to play pickup soccer. So you can say, oh, well, don't have technology, but there's sort of like costs to that culturally that at times can isolate them. We, as parents, you know, we have to navigate that and do what's appropriate and, mod you know, we, we went through that. It's not easy. Um, 
but they do have a longing to be disconnected from technology that I think plays into a lot of them wanting to go on like a radical mission because they, they see it as an opportunity. And then there's an openness to spirituality, but less into religion. So I think even on this one, you might have young people um, more inclined to go on mission than, say, become a pastor at a suburban church, you know, because there's an openness to spirituality, doing these amazing things for God, but the concept of religion or organized religion, there's a skepticism in, that, in their culture. So these are things we have to navigate as we um, walk people in the mission. And this is where I would say young people need to break out of their cultural norms to be in a place to hear the voice of God and call of God. And if you have any influence on young people, this is something I think you can think about for them. We used to have these devotional baskets when our kids were little, and it'd have like a blanket and a book and a Bible, and we'd send them out into the backyard and just say, go have some time with God. And there'd be coloring and some artistic stuff in there. And just, you know, if you want to sit on the hammock and just listen, that's fine. If you want to, we kind of created some opportunity for them to connect with God in a different way. But yeah, young people today need to break out of their cultural norms and be, be able to hear uh, the voice of God. I thought about this in, in light of our church. I asked our staff, Give me an example of, of how we're doing this. <clears throat> With our young children, we do what's called Philly Blitz. And um, recently, this group of girls went, and uh, at Philly Blitz, they did all this cool stuff. They, at one point, they were handing out lunches to people on the street, and they kept going further and finding people that needed food until all the lunches were gone. And they would just approach strangers and give them food. And uh, Rochelle was like really impressed that they were so um, ready to, to just go out and do that at such a young age. And um, these, these Philly Blitz trips that we do with our very young children and then our mission trips, you know, these are the places where um, things are happening <clears throat> when it comes to youth being on mission. And um, the girl in the middle there, she ended up, after that trip, she said, well, I want to go with my parents to uh, the Ministry of Broken Beginnings under the bridge. So now this girl goes into the city of Wilmington each month and talks to um, homeless and, and people that need a meal. And she's out there just ministering. And you can see that, and Rochelle was saying that the adults, when they see her, they're really moved, and, and it really opens them up. To, and this is another reason God would pull young people in the, into ministry. But what is our responsibility? What can we do individually and as a church to influence youth to be on mission for Jesus? And rather than discuss it, I'm going to give you the answers. <laughs> um, for parents... <clears throat> Spend time helping your children experience faith. We spend a lot of time talk, uh, teaching our children about God and facts about God and stories about God. But um, for mission to be developed, there needs to be an experiential aspect of their faith. And so the ways that this could happen, 
at a very young age is um, you can share with your children what's happening. Uh, like, for example, the Pierre mission um, request we got about Haiti. You could, you could take a seven-year-old and tell them about the Pierre family and that we support them as a church. You could tell them what's happening with that family and you could ask them to, to pray about that family. Um, that would be an experiential um, way that, that that child would encounter some difficult things but start to experience um, the need for faith. And be transparent about your own faith struggles. I think we shield our children from so much of what we're going through that by the time they get into teenage years or high school or college, they haven't, they didn't know we were struggling in our marriage. They didn't know we were struggling with our call of God, or they didn't know we were having doubts about our faith. So those things are really important. Um, And then be clear about your expectations for them when it comes to living on mission and finding their true identity in Jesus. You really have to create the opportunity for them to take a path that might be different than their culture. And you have to do it in a way, you have to almost be like um, a special agent in this because you, you can't tell them what to do. You have to very, not discreetly, but um, in a very wise way, you have to present the possibility that they could go on mission for God. And um, if it's something that they feel you want for them, they might not do it. But you do have to sort of let them know that you are in favor of it at the same time to open it up as a possibility. Um, And then tell your story of how God came to you. I mean, I know some of your stories in this room because I know some of you. And so, like, make sure you tell that to your parents, or I'm sorry, your children. And I would even say to young people in general, this goes beyond parenting. And then, um, similarly, if you want to influence a young leader, consider mentoring. We could talk more about that um, in depth later. But remind them of their calling and identity in Christ. I think if you see a young person walking around, and you, you have chance to talk to them, um, remind them of who they are. And then make sure your life is worth imitating. This is kind of goes back to that John Piper sermon. Maybe you need to think about your own life and mission and calling. Um, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's sort of the call of the Christian faith. And if we want our young people to be radical and follow the Lord, then, then we as an older church body need to be modeling that. And then um, for young people, uh, be humble. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I think when I see a young leader that's going on mission and they have humility, um, I, I think that's great. If they lack humility, I'll probably point that out. <laughs> I'd be like, I think your fire for the Lord is awesome. But I would really sort of guide them into being more humble. Um, and then live a surrendered life. 
So, yeah, and we had to rush there at the end to get it all in. But um, I think you, you kind of got the idea that uh, this is not an easy thing, easy task that sits in front of us. Um, thankfully, we have a youth ministry and a children's ministry that really is thinking about this at a, at a deep level. And so um, it's a place where we all can be praying and, and participating in that in different ways. So allow me to pray for us as we head into worship. Lord, thank you for this time and this uh, topic of youth being on mission. And um, We lift every young person up here in this church family. And from, from the infants all the way up to you know, the 20, 20-somethings, the, the young 30s, the people in their early 30s. Um, God, we know they're kind of walking into the tension of how do I follow you? in my life. And so we lift each one up this morning and we pray that as a church we would be responsible uh, for the young people to be on mission in the life of our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you.